On today's broadcast of Truth For Today, Pastor Phil Howard takes us back to Romans chapter 12. We have just one little sentence we want to look at. What are you thinking about when you think about yourself? Join us for Truth For Today next. From Valley Bible Church in Hercules, this is Truth For Today. We welcome you to our broadcast. We're continuing our survey of Romans, and today we find ourselves in Romans chapter 12. Now, it's a fascinating sentence that we find here, one that spurs this one thought. Are you thinking right about yourself? Now, what does it mean to think right about oneself? Should we be puffed up? Is there room for pride? Is there room for self-centeredness, selfishness? self-esteem, or is there something else at stake here that the Apostle Paul is driving home? We would invite you to join us today as we examine God's Word together and look at His design for our lives that we might glorify Him and find delight in the middle of it all. Here now with today's broadcast of Truth For Today, again from Valley Bible Church in Hercules, our teacher and pastor. Here's Pastor Phil Howard. Turn, if you will, to Romans 12. Today we're going to concentrate on one verse because I, uh, I couldn't get past it. And uh, let's take in view what he's saying. Romans for 11 chapters has been describing man's predicament and God's merciful intervention to save him from his sins, to save him from God's deserved wrath. Now, as he describes this marvelous story of God's deliverance and recovery of us from the fall, he finally comes to the exhortation section where he starts telling Christians how to behave and how to live. He's told you for 11 chapters what God has done, what God has done for you. And it's all about him. And it's a fact. Now he's going to appeal to us what you can do for me how you can respond to this gracious and merciful act of salvation. And he starts in by saying, I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy that I've described for 11 chapters, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Number one, give me your body. Of course, it includes all of you, but emphasis on your body. I want to use the members of your body to do righteousness and to promote me. And this is a reasonable act of service. It comes from within. You've been worshiping animals. You've been worshiping stone and idols in chapter one. You've been out of your mind, as it were, in pagan worship. This is a reasonable act of service. This comes from your inner man. God will accept it. Two, stop being conformed or molded by the evil age all around you. Stop being poured into the mold of this world. And then thirdly, he says, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as that mind is transformed, what happens is it's a mind that now begins to do the will of God and experiences the will of God as one would taste an orange for the first time. And you find out it tastes sweet, it tastes good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. Now, he's going to go into a section 
that starts telling us how to relate to one another. And he's going to tell us how to relate to fellow believers, how to relate in this body that you're a part of a, something much bigger than yourself. And he's going to tell you about spiritual gifts. And we'll pick up the matter of spiritual gifts next week. But he says something very interesting before he goes into our giftedness and goes into our uniqueness in the body. Before he goes into that, he says something about how we ought to think about ourselves. And I asked you the question, how do you think about yourself? Uh, It says in Ecclesiastes, as a man thinketh, so is he. And he's going to give us three criteria how to evaluate how you think about yourself. I ask you now, how do you think about yourself? Uh, Have you had any visions of grandeur lately? That one man, they said of him, he's a legend in his own mind. He's a legend in his own mind. Uh, If you go to uh, Barnes & Noble up here, you won't find any books on humility. Some of you will go up there and you'll find one just to prove me wrong. It gives you something to study about. Um, But there's no books that are giving us courses on how to be humble about us. Everything is self-esteem. You deserve it. Uh, Take charge. You can do it. Motivational. And uh, one of our plights today is people who've lost self-esteem. And even they'll teach you to have self-worth. And it's very interesting. You can never produce your own worth. It always takes another person to really establish. You can say all day to yourself, I'm great, I'm great, I'm great. But you really, at the end of the day, say, I don't believe it. Because nobody else agrees. And we always need a significant other to gauge ourselves. But he's going to look at the verse and he tells us three ways to evaluate yourself. And in your thinking, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Uh, If you took the word thinking here and just made it the word estimate, Because it has not the idea of IQ thinking, but it's what you think upon, your frame of thinking. So you can translate it by the word estimate. And you could read it this way. Do not estimate yourself to be higher than you really are. But rather estimate yourself with sober judgment and estimate yourself in keeping with the measure of faith, whatever that means. And we'll seek to look at that. Uh, And so I'm going to develop a little look as we look at this. I want to touch on subjects like what is humility or what does it look like? Uh, Consider the dangers of pride. And then I want us to say how should we be thinking about ourselves? What is this measure of faith that we're to be judging our thinking? What in the world is the measure of faith? And so, uh, we want to consider what we think about ourselves, and uh, we'll look at that. I, I, do you have a humble opinion of self, 
or an overestimated view. A, a student one time came to Howard Hendricks and he was seeking to be humble, which is refreshing. And he came to Hendricks and he said, uh, please pray for me that I can be humble. He said, please pray for me that I could be nothing. And Howie Hendricks says, my dear young man, take it by faith. You are nothing. You don't even need to pray about it. You are nothing. Without me, you can do some things. You can do nothing. And so he said, I'm not even going to pray about it. Just take it by faith. You are nothing. And that's what he said in 1 Corinthians uh, 1. God saved people that are considered nothing by the culture. And so we start looking at uh, how to think about ourselves. Uh, you'll find in the bookstore, you know why there's no books on humility? Uh, you have to hang out with God to ever be humble. Uh, only people who hang out with God get a correct estimate of themselves because as long as you're comparing yourself among yourselves or to other people, you can find people you're better than, maybe better looking, maybe smarter, better educated, better background. We've got all these comparisons, but humility uh, only can survive in the presence of God. Uh, it, there's no such thing as a humble devil. There is no humble devil. And only as a person hangs out with God, what will rub off on you, a sure mark, is a humility of mind that replaces arrogance, pride, uh, boasting. And uh, I just thought, let me just give you some verses that the Bible says, uh, don't overestimate yourself. Let's just take some verses, and I have many, so I'll read them off to you about what he says to us as believers in this idea of humility. Um, Christ said, if you hang out with me, if you take my yoke upon you, you will learn to be proud, cocky, and assured. You will learn to be meek and humble. Imagine that God the Son on the earth, deity in flesh, says... Hang out with me, hang out with deity, and I'll teach you how to be gentle. And that word gentle there has the idea of smooth, of, it was used of wine, smooth wine. It was used of that that put others at ease. You know, a person that always makes you get, have you been around some people, as soon as you're with them, you get uptight? You know why? They're not gentle. They don't put you at ease. They haven't been in the yoke of Christ very long. Christ knew how to put people at ease. The worst sinner in town felt at ease in the presence of Christ. And you learn humility. Amazing. The Greeks despised the word humility. It was not a virtue among the Greeks. I remember playing golf with a man one time, and in a kidding way, I said, you are sure humble, and he rebuked me. He said, don't ever call me humble again. I reject the term. It's a term of weakness. It's a term I don't appreciate, because he was a pagan, and he meant it. I don't, I'm not humble, I don't seek to be humble, and I don't want you calling me humble. 
So I, I was kidding, but it would be a, a compliment if I heard someone say, you're a humble man. But that's only because I know God. Because you know posturing with men is, come on, baby, bring it on. I'll smack you. I know all about that. I went to Richmond High. I had a lot of fights. I thought I was something. I ran around with hoods. I know all about that. All that macho going to show you whoever can win the fight is the best man. Well, this is a different battle. You don't win it with swords. You don't win it with muscle. You win it by getting low and let God win the day. Because it's not won by flesh and blood, right? It's won by spiritual weapons that God uses through the humble of heart. And so humility is not a popular virtue that anybody even wants. Only those who hang out with God. Humility can only survive in the presence of God. And when God goes, humility goes. But Christ said in the upper room, I will stoop to wash the feet of dirty men. And I'm going to leave you the example. I want you to emulate me as the example. Stoop to serve. Stoop to love. I become the model for how you relate. In my yoke, you'll learn to be humble. If you follow my example, you'll stoop to wash the feet of dirty men. Christ, it says in Philippians 2, He says, he emptied himself, and he says, have this kind of thinking going on in you. What kind of thinking? That Christ emptied himself of the external insignias of deity and royalty. He laid aside those regal robes, and he took to him the form of a servant, became like a man, poured himself out. This is God's model. He says this to men in the church. You want to lead my people? Your disciples are always fighting over who's the greatest. You want to be the greatest? Let me tell you how to be the greatest. He who is the servant of all is the greatest in the room. He who lets someone else take his place, he who does the stooping, he who does the serving, that's greatness in my family. You guys are wrestling and you even got your mother trying to get me to promise James and John positions at my right and my left hand. And he rebukes him by saying, greatness is not achieved in my kingdom by granting family favors. Greatness is achieved by poured out service. It's not the path to, it is greatness. The greatest people in this church, and we have great people and we have people. The great ones are the servants. That's who the great people are. Never forget that. Whoever the servants are. Don't be impressed with yourself if you're not a servant. And he said in the church, the only way the church can get along with each other, look at Ephesians. I'm, I'm taking my time to just to develop this throughout the Bible. Is that okay? Thank you. I know you're under compulsion to say that. Uh, look what he says in uh, 4.2. Be completely humble. Have you ever been half humble? It's kind of hard. No, let this complete, be completely humble and gentle. Matthew 11, in my yoke. Be patient. 
Why? It's going to demand it to be bearing with one another in the body of Christ. You'll have to make the effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Unity among God's saints is not passively maintained. It's actively maintained. And it comes out of humility. It comes out of gentleness. It comes out of bearing one another, preferring one another. He goes on to say in Colossians, clothe yourself with humility. Uh, even, you know what that means? Clothing, I hope I'm clothed today. Maybe not in my right mind, but I'm clothed. The clothing is to hide a body you don't need to see. It is certainly external. And you know what? There is something. It's a tough thing without being phony and looking uh, just like a pansy. That the externality of your behavior ought to convey humility. Are you clothed in humility? And how would you know a humble person? Well, these are the things I would see. Uh, They don't talk about themselves a lot. They're teachable. You actually get to say something in the conversation. Uh, They would, uh, I think the way they would treat you, they would, you get the feeling whether, have you ever talked to some people that you were only an interruption in the conversation? Because they're so full of themselves. I get with people, and I do this, and, and I don't even come up to me after service. You're, I, I'm not going to do it today. But when I get with people, sometimes I do a little test. How long will it take in this conversation before they ever ask anything about me? It's really interesting. Man, you just watch it. So, hey, man, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm do, do, yeah, okay. And I'm doing this. And we're doing that. And, and, do, yeah. and sometimes I tell my wife, I said, did you notice? They didn't care a thing about what we're doing. They were so full of themselves that we would be an intrusion because the most important thing was themselves. Um, It's a tough thing for pastors. Pastors are notoriously dominant in the conversation. And I find in counseling in the early days for sure, the hardest thing in counseling is to shut up and let them talk. Because I've got a cure before I even know what they need. I don't have time for diagnosis. I'm too busy writing a prescription. You need this. I've heard this a hundred times. Go. And they can tell. Sometimes they're looking at you Says you're not listening. How would you think that? Your name is Barbara or is that Karen? It is hard to be a listener. Only humble people will listen. The proud only tolerate you. That's why some of us are terrible conversations. Because the other person knows the most important person in the conversation is you. Let me tell you one of the main things I use a lot in conflict, marital conflict, personal conflict. I learned it years ago. I think it was from David Augsburger. That what I find in most conflict, this is the common ingredient. Let's say, let's use husband and wife. This is the most common ingredient I hear. She's wrong. I'm right, vice versa. You get this going. And he gave me this tool. It doesn't matter who's right. What matters is what's right. And if in our conflicts we went for what's right, it doesn't matter who's winning. 
Even Covey says, in a conflict, everybody's got to win. It's not, I win, you lose. And don't we do that in marriage? Hey, I'm right on this argument. Two to one. And you find out, have you ever won an argument in marriage and lost your mate? Oh, yeah. You won, all right. Your side was right. And you devastated them. And still emotionally, they may be estranged from you for four days, but you won. Because the goal must not be who's right, it's what's right. Humility seeks the truth. It doesn't have to always be right. It's not you that's right. It's truth that is right. Right? And so in conflict, we get this tug of war going back and forth. And so over and over in Scripture, we have God saying things like, if you will walk in humility, I will pay attention to you. Uh, There's verses like uh, Isaiah, to this man will I look, to him who's of a humble and a contrite heart. Uh, But let's hear some of the warnings about pride. Any proud people here, would you please stand up? No, you wouldn't do that. Appreciate you're not pointing out your neighbor. Uh, look at Proverbs. Just you don't need to look. I, I want to read this. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. Before destruction, and before honor is humility. What should we teach guys in seminary going into the pastorate? To be haughty or to be humble? Well, what should we teach those who want to serve in the body? Uh, you want to discover your gift. I'm gifted. You are. Well, why is it we never see anything coming out of you? It's because God has sidelined you because your attitude doesn't match your giftedness. Humility must precede any divine promotion. God will not promote the proud. He always opposes them. Have you seen some people that you keep asking, why don't they emerge? Why don't they emerge? They seem so gifted. They're so articulate. They're precocious. Uh, They have charisma. There's so many things, so many things going for them. But there seems to be a, a wall. Maybe it's God is opposing their attitude. And God searches the heart and he sees cockiness. He sees arrogance. And he sees that promotion would only ruin them. He said, don't promote a novice in the church a newly planted believer, lest he be puffed up with pride and fall into the condemnation of Satan. And that's the thing we seek always in looking at elders, deacons, people in leadership. Will they be humble in the office? Will they be unaffected and not become proud or puffed up just because they've been given promotion? And you have to ask yourself, could I... Could I stand a promotion? Let's ask this. Could any of us stand you once you were promoted? I knew some folks that I liked them before they became somebody. Once they became somebody, they're kind of nauseating. God says, I hate pride in Proverbs 6. God hates it. You want to know his opinion? God says, I hate pride. 
And with that, we come to the end of our time today here on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. As we close out our time together today, I'd like to extend to you an invitation to contact us here at Truth For Today. From time to time, we like to know how we are being used by the Lord as far as it concerns your growth, walk, and relationship with Christ. Now, the best way to do that is to hear from you. A phone call, a quick note, a postcard, even an email would mean a great deal to us at this time. We'd like to know how this program encourages you in Christ. So would you take a moment and contact us? Just a quick note, that's all we're looking for, or a quick phone call. Here's our address, Truth For Today, P.O. Box 5158, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. Again, you can reach us with a quick little postcard or a note of encouragement at Truth For Today, P.O. Box 5158, Hercules, California, 94547 is our zip code. If you'd like to contact us by phone, you can do so at 510-799-3171. That's 510-799-3171. And then, as always, our website where you can drop us an email, valleybible.org. Real simple, valleybible.org. One other way you can let us know how the program encourages you is to visit us in person. Sunday services here at Valley Bible Church in Hercules are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We're just off Highway 4, the three crosses on the hill. That's our church. Directions can be found again at valleybible.org or by simply calling 510-799-3171. Oh, by the way, a copy of today's program is available in its entirety and its unedited version for just $5. Mention today's date as you contact us. And again, we'd love to hear from you. Please take a moment. Let us know how the program encourages you. 510-799-3171. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And until next time, God bless. 